Uh, would someone open us up with prayer? Someone volunteer to do that. Thank you, Bob. And uh, yeah, in, in, in that prayer, there's definitely some of those terms that pop up in Anglicanism, right? Uh, the big tent, the working together, and a lot of that is very true. Um, but it can also lead to a lot of fights. And so to kind of preface the way that um, I decided to do this class, where this came about, is um, there was uh, another ministry within our, 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 not our diocese, but within, that we're closely aligned with that on their website they had a very explicit invocation of the Archangel Michael. It was basically a prayer to, to Michael. And a parishioner was very, very disturbed that this would be in an Anglican context. Well, the truth is, that's not abnormal in certain circles. Um, even It's not in the prayer book, but that's not abnormal. And there's reasons for that, why, why they do that, why others might not. And, I th and, I, and it occurred to me, there might be a lot of assumptions, especially if you've just kind of been in the context of, uh, of All Saints by itself. Um, we are not all like All Saints. <laughs> anybody, that's, I mean, anybody that's been around knows we are not all like All Saints um, or our diocese or whatever you see. And some of that is fine. Some of that's a little less fine. And, but there are ways to kind of wade through all that. Um, I have found for a long time now an essay that the um, uh, Al Mohler, who is a former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, I believe, he's also the president of, uh, of one of their big seminaries for a lot longer, wrote back in 2005 that he called, that he, he titled A Call for Theological Triage and Christian Maturity. So if you, um, I, I emailed a, that link out to everybody that's on our distribution list. Um, if you're not on the list, um, send me an email and I'll get you on the list. Um, if you haven't read it, check it out. Um, or if you, that's a lot of work, you can Google Al Mohler Theological Triage and you'll find it, no big deal. It's, it, it pops up instantly. But um, even though, even though Mohler's a, a, a Southern Baptist, um, the way he framed this, I think, is very helpful as we look at some of the controversies within our own circles as Anglicans. And I'll talk about why I think it's so helpful in a little while. So here's, here's his introduction. We're not going to read through the whole essay, but I want to read to you the um, opening couple of paragraphs and then summarize a lot of what he had to say. And some of you all have heard me talk about the main points before, but let's get into it a little bit deeper. So he opens up the essay saying, in every generation, the church is commanded to, quote, contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Anybody know where that comes from? Jude, Jude exactly. That's Jude 3. Um, that is no easy task, he goes on to say, and it is complicated by the multiple attacks upon Christian truth that mark our contemporary age. 
assaults upon the Christian faith are no longer directed only at isolated doctrines. The entire structure of Christian truth is now under attack by those who, who would subvert Christianity's theological integrity. So what, what does this mean? Once upon a time, the main objections to Christianity were over certain doctrines. It was very much a, on the one end, kind of a, well, liberalism or science says this about this doctrine, the virgin birth, for example. Um, but the Bible says this, who are we going to believe? That kind of thing. But it's not so much the case anymore. We have moved into a culture where um, the entire structure of what Christianity believes is no longer um, considered a good thing in most of society. We've moved into a time in our society as North Americans where for a large segment of the society, not only might Christians be wrong or weird or stupid, but we're actually considered evil because we believe the things that the Bible says. So, and he's writing this 15, almost 20 years ago, so things have just gotten worse since he wrote this. Let me read the second paragraph, and then I'll start summarizing. He says, today's Christian faces the daunting task of strategizing which Christian doctrines and theological issues are to be given highest priority in terms of our contemporary context. This applies both to the public defense of Christianity in the face of the secular challenge and the internal responsibility of dealing with doctrinal disagreements. If we can kind of figure out which are the most important things to focus on, that helps us both when we're dealing with the world, but for the purposes of what we're talking about in this class, the internal disagreements. Not just between denominations, but within our own tradition. Okay, continuing on. Neither is an easy task, but theological seriousness and maturity demand that we consider doctrinal issues in terms of their relative importance. God's truth is to be defended at every point, in every detail, but responsible Christians must determine which issues deserve first-rank attention in a time of theological crisis. And he goes on to say that this um, essay was inspired by a trip to the emergency room when he um, was watching what the triage doctor does. What's the triage doctor do? What, what's the triage officer in an emergency room? What, what's his job to do? Yeah, he sorts things out. He, he what? What's the most serious, right? Because if you didn't have someone doing that, so he sorts things out by what is most serious. Because if you didn't have someone doing that, a um, broken arm might receive the same, uh, might, might get in to see the doctor before a gunshot wound. But that broken arm ain't gonna kill you, that gunshot wound might, you know? And so you need someone who can sort between who need, what needs the most attention first, what can be put off until we deal with those that are most, most important. So that's what triage is in a medical sense. And so what Muller is, is um, proposing is a theological triage so that we can determine the scale. He says, um, a, a discipline of theological triage would require Christians to determine a scale of theological urgency that would correspond to the medical world's framework for medical priority. And then he goes on to propose three different levels. So he taught his first level theological issues, he says these are going to be the things that are most central to Christian faith, the most essential things to the Christian faith. Um, our articles of religion would frame this in terms of um, matters that are necessary to salvation. 
um, we might say these are issues of faith and morals, right? Absolute faith and morals. Um, he includes those, he says, um, included among these most crucial doctrines would be doctrines such as the Trinity, the full deity and humanity of Christ, um, the authority of scripture, and he also includes justification by faith. Um, the reason why I qualify he includes that is because you could read this to say that Moeller is, is, is voting Catholics off the, off the, off the island. But, um, this is parenthetical, um, a lot of the uh, 20th century ecumenical dialogue between Rome and, and various um, Protestant denominations, whether it's the, uh, the, you know, the Lutheran, the, the joint declaration on justification by faith that the Lutherans did, or some of those things that in the Anglican, let me see if I can remember how, the Anglican Roman Catholic, A-C-R-I, in consultation or something like that. These, these conferences that have been going on for decades between the Anglican Communion and the Roman Catholic Church um, have not put the Reformation controversies to bed, but they have shown that we do have a place that we, we do meet. We're not, you know, to, to say a Catholic does not believe in justification by faith is not true. Now, how they approach that doctrine is different than the way that, that we would historically. So anyway, um, and he and most of the, the the earliest councils, those ecumenical councils, were dealing with these first order issues on the level of uh, Christological heresy. So basically, are we saying what is true about Jesus? That's where we get, you know, the doctrine of the Trinity is really hammered out at that point. The idea that we believe in one God who has eternally existed and as three persons. Um, you don't confuse the persons. You don't separate the persons to the point where we have three gods. You don't confuse the persons to the point where we have one God um, who's one person just wearing a different hat. You know, those, those things that we talk about on Trinity Sunday. Um, it, it, it nailed down the full humanity and full divinity of Jesus. Um, that when we speak about the Blessed Virgin Mary as the Theotokos, the, the one who bore the, the bearer of God, it's not because we're saying she's you know better than God not at all but it's because we're saying that baby in her room was God and always had been God right you know all these things about what we say about Jesus um, so that's kind of first order issues um, then um, kind of pushing things forward he says the, these first order doctrines represent the most fundamental truths of the Christian faith a denial of these doctrines represents nothing less than an eventual denial of Christianity itself. So these doctrines are really what separates heresy from Christianity, heresy and orthodoxy. Or you could say some of these also separate heterodoxy from orthodoxy. What's the difference between heresy and heterodoxy? Depends on who you ask. Um, <laughs> some people basically use the terms completely interchangeably, right? It's anything that denies those essential doctrines. Um, I, I would probably make a finer distinction saying that heresy is dealing with those Christological and Trinity issues that got hammered out in the creeds and early councils. Heterodoxy is going to be a level of error that puts you in such bad belief that um, you're, you're really flirting with heresy. Um, an example of that I would say is the way that a lot of the liberal churches have departed from biblical standards on human sexuality. Um, why, why is that to the same level of importance? Well, because uh, the Bible says <laughs> to, to, to embrace that particular error, put your soul in damnation. 
It's not that those are unforgivable sins, but to pretend that those sins are not sins and to say, that's okay, God will bless those things, that's to imperil people's souls. So it does become a salvation issue. So we would say, again, essential matters of faith and morals, right? Let's move on to second order issues. Second order issues, he writes, would include the meaning and mode of, oh, he gives examples. Second order issues are basically the kinds of things that will divide one communion of Christians from another. You cannot coexist in the same church if you, if you disagree on this issue. Um, why? Why? Well, because you can't both say it is wrong to baptize babies and you should baptize babies at the same time. It, that is irreconcilable, right? And that's the first example he gives. Um, and he says, you know, Baptists and Presbyterians would disagree over the basic understanding of baptism, but they're not going to look at each other and say, that guy's not a Christian, right? I would say this is, this is where um, we, we, when we look at kind of Rome's approach to justification by faith, um, we would say, yeah, they're, they're wrong. <laughs> they're wrong on that issue. But we're not going to vote, we're not going to say Roman Catholics aren't Christians, right? We're not going to say that. Um, once upon a time, that may have not been what people would say, but I think you've, it's very hard to find any Anglican that looks at Catholics and says, oh, those guys aren't Christians. You're, you're not going to find that these days. Um, so, yeah, uh, baptism, mode of baptism is a huge one. Church government's a huge one. You know, the Congregationalists believe that that congregational form of government is what, what the Scripture says and commands. I have no clue how they reach that conclusion, but that's what they believe. Presbyterians say that the Bible commands only, only, um, only an elder-led system. Um, I understand where they're coming from on that. I think they're missing some things historically, right? And, and, and uh, we would say that um, having bishops, an Episcopal form of government, is the best way. We might not say it's essential, but we would say that's how it should be. And so, again, church government, that's going to be one of those things that is a second-order issue. He brings up today, he says that one of the prime contemporary issues is women serving as pastors, women's ordination, as, as a key second-order issue. It says a church or denomination will either ordain women to the pastorate or it will not. <laughs> and you can't really do both at the same time. Um, that's a big issue for us as Anglicans because we're trying to have our cake and eat it too on that. We're trying to say you can do both at the same time. Um, and we'll talk about that as we go, go forward. Um, then he brings up third-order issues, and those are doctrines over which Christians may disagree and remain in close fellowship, even within a local congregation. These are areas where you can agree to disagree within a denomination, within a diocese, within a congregation sometimes even. Um, you know, the example he gives is some of those uh, debates over eschatology, the end times, is there a pre-rapture before the tribulation or after the tribulation? When does the millennium happen? Millennium happen, or is there even a millennium at all? You know those kinds of things. Um, the, um, contemporary versus traditional music—that's probably one of these types of things. And so he 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 concludes this saying: a structure of theological triage does not imply that Christians may take biblical truth with anything less than full seriousness. It doesn't mean that even those third order issues don't matter, especially if we're going to you know, study the Bible on this. They do matter. But, um, yeah, he said, and he says, you know, they're, 
Um, we are charged to embrace and teach the comprehensive truthfulness of the Christian faith as revealed in the Holy Scriptures. There are no insignificant doctrines revealed in the Bible, but there is an essential foundation of truth that undergirds the entire system of biblical truth. So when we can make this difference in these theological issues, first, second, third order, that helps us to navigate both inter-Christian relationships, interdenominational relationships, some of the disagreements that may happen within a congregation. And he, um, he does say that you can, um, looking at this can help to explain the confusion that often happens when there's doctrinal disagreement or debate. If you're not looking at that relative urgency, you might fall into a couple of different errors. And he says here, the mark of true liberalism is the refusal to admit that first order theological issues even exist. The liberal says everything's third order. And what does that mean? Well, that means you're gonna start entertaining heresy and say, we just keep, just keep us all together. Unity is more important than doctrine. That's a major sin in the Anglican communion. But we're not the only ones who have that problem. Fundamentalism, he writes, on the other hand, tends towards the opposite error. The misjudgment of true fundamentalism is the belief that all disagreements concern first-order doctrines. In other words, if you don't agree with me, you're a heretic. <laughs> and we have some folks like that in the Anglican world, too, <laughs> who basically see every disagreement as an issue of, 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 of heresy versus orthodoxy. Um, and so third-order issues are raised to a first-order importance, and Christians are wrongly and harmly divided. And we can do this with second-order things, too, right? You, you'll find a lot of Anglicans that basically say, if you don't have bishops, you're not a church, which is not the historical position of our, of our divines, um, for example. So um, that's kind of a foundation for, for how I think we should look at some of these issues. Um, I did not bring those handouts. I should have brought those handouts. Um, they're in my office. <laughs> hey, Jason, would you go to my desk and grab the handouts? There's, there's like a stack of papers. Awesome, thank you. That, that's why you get a senior award and you make him do stuff. <laughs> While Jason is getting a handout um, and, and handing some of those out, let's just kind of list on this here giant post-it some of the... Um, controversies within the Anglican world that we might address in the next few weeks. Um, and y'all can just kind of call some about. We're not going to address all of them today, but it'd be helpful to kind of see what are the things that you have seen as, as an issue that, that could be addressed. Bob? Women's ordination. Women's ordination. W-O. Yeah, if... Um, if he had not called it, I was going to put that as the first one anyway. That, that really is the kind of the, the besetting one here in North America. Any, any other big controversies that, 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 um, that pop up? Okay. Um, we'll call that, we'll call that um, uh, universalism, maybe? Um, I'm going to write down the kind of presenting issue for this class, the Invocation of Saints, Invocation um, The Position of Mary. Okay. Some, there's a lot of controversy there. Blessed Virgin Mary. Yeah. Anything, what, what else? I know some of you all have been in this world that uh, 
or just keeping quiet? Transgenderism. Okay, so yeah, we'll, we'll label that all under sexuality. What did you call that? More transgenderism. Sexuality and gender issues, yeah. But that shouldn't even be a controversy in ACNA because in the in the in the Constitution it says marriage is between a man and a woman. Well, yeah, you're 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 jumping the gun a little bit, but you're you're right. In our province, we have a very good stance on this. So, and we'll talk about why we have a good stance on this. Very good, Bob. Um, other other controversies. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw one out. The prayer book. Um, in this congregation, uh, this congregation would not exist if it hadn't been for controversies over the prayer book and women's ordination. I mean, 45 years ago, it was a thing, and that's part of why this congregation exists. Uh, other other controversies that might need to might need to be addressed. Did we run out of papers? Oh, no, there's more. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Anybody that did not get a paper, get one. Um, if you could give me one too, Jason. Okay. So, um, and, and we might, there might be some other ones that pop up as we go throughout the class. Um, and uh, this, this is probably, I probably should have said this 20 minutes ago, but um, what we're naming this class is Navigating, Navigating Diversity Within North American Anglicanism. We might even say within Orthodox North American Anglicanism, because that's going to show some of these divisions, right? Orthodox versus heterodox, North American, that sort of thing. I passed out here two ways that we have approached some of these issues. So we have here first the fundamental declarations of the province and uh, province constitution and cans of the Anglican Church in North America. We are now part of the ACNA, and um, this is the fundamental declarations of the ACNA. So we'll just jump to the points. The canonical books of the Old and New Testaments to be the inspired word of God, containing all things necessary for salvation, and to be the final authority and unchangeable standard for Christian faith and life. Is this a first order issue or a second order issue or a third order issue? It's a first order issue. Number two, baptism and the supper of the Lord to be sacraments ordained by Christ himself in the gospel and thus to be ministered with unfailing use of his word, of institution, and of the elements ordained by him. First or second order issue, do you think? Okay, show your work. Why is that a first, not a second? It's in black and white, right? It's in black and white. Yeah, you and can't. Now, if the Baptists call these sacraments ordinances, does that blow them off the Christian the Christian faith? No, no. Ordinance sacraments. I mean, they're 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 going to make a, a semantic issue on that. We won't. I mean, why do they say ordinances? Because Christ ordained them. Okay, we agree. Christ ordained them. Okay, that's fine. We're calling them sacraments. <laughs> they're calling them ordinances. It's fine. Um, what, what about a group that doesn't do this? There are a couple of Christian groups that don't do communion or baptism. What up with that? I said what up with that on the video. I can't believe it. <laughs> I'm going back to early 2000s SNL here. <laughs> 
yeah, there's a, there's a few Christian groups that just don't do it. They don't, they don't, they don't think you, you're, you're supposed to baptize people. What do you think? Are, are, they, are they still Christians? Well, he said the mode of baptism is. The fact of baptism, um, he, he doesn't address. So, yeah, he does say the mode of baptism is a second-degree issue. Um, so, in, in, in terms of do you dunk, do you sprinkle, um, do you pour, um, that, you know, and really that for most people is like a third-order issue. It's only Baptists that make the mode um, a second-order issue. Um, everybody's like, yeah, you can dunk if you want. Who cares? You know, if you, if you got a pool, dunk them. Um, if you don't, sprinkle them, whatever. Um, in, you know, is it permissible to, to baptize infants? That is a big controversy um, throughout most of the church, or well, some of the church. And so, yeah, he, he, would, he would definitely put that as a second-order issue. But do all Christians agree you ought to baptize? They, 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 they should. The groups that don't, I would say, are flirting with heterodoxy on this issue. Um, okay, number three. We confess the godly historic episcopate as an inherent part of the apostolic faith and practice, and therefore as integral, 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 however you want to pronounce that, to the fullness and unity of the body of Christ. First, second, or third order? The episcopacy. Why do you say it's a first order? Are you saying that those that don't have bishops are not Christians? No. No, okay. Second order issue. This is a second order issue. You can't be a Presbyterian and an Episcopalian if you're going to be a, an, an Anglican minister. It doesn't work that way. You have to be an Episcopalian um, in terms of your, uh, in terms of your, 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 your motive, your belief in, in polity. But we're not going to say that Presby's and Congregationalists are not Christians. Okay, that is a second order issue. Um, we confess as provided by most certain warrants of the Holy Scripture, the historic faith of the undivided church as declared in the three Catholic creeds, the Apostles, Nicene, and Athanasian. The stuff in those creeds, is that first or second order issue or third order? I, I heard a whisper over, over, in this, over here. What do, you, what do you all think? The things that are in those creeds, not that you have to confess those creeds, but the things that are in those creeds, the doctrinal content, first, second, or third? First order issue. That's absolutely first order issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, that's first order issues. The things in the creed, if you don't believe that content, you are probably not a Christian. I mean, you have to believe that content. Um, concerning the ecumenical councils, number five, of the undivided church, we affirm the teaching of the first four councils and the Christological clarifications of the fifth, sixth, and seventh councils insofar as they are agreeable to the Holy Scriptures. There's a little bit of weasel words there, a little bit of wiggle room. It's intentional. But this general statement that the Christological things or the, the issues in those first councils and the Christological issues in the second, in the, in that second half of councils, that they, we believe those insofar as they're provable by scriptures, that first, second, or third order. This is a tough one. I, Randy says first. Anybody disagree with him? It, it is first. It is first. Here's where things get a little fuzzy. What do you do with, say, the 
Assyrian church in the east that split off like what, 1500 years ago or more over one of those councils or the Coptic church and the other Oriental Orthodox that split off over another one of those. Um, are we saying those guys are heretics? Once upon a time, the church probably would have said yes. But <laughs> um, recent, recent um, like was within the last hundred years or so, dialogue between the leadership of all the, all the churches, really, Protestant, Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Oriental Orthodox, churches of the East, have produced a lot of fruit where we basically have concluded that a lot of that was because we didn't understand each other back then. Like it was linguistic issues. You know, what, when the Greek was translated into um, Syriac, maybe there was bad translations or maybe it implied something in Syriac that it didn't in Greek or vice versa, you know, those types of things. And so we basically, everybody basically says, yeah, we're, we're pretty much on the same page, even if we don't formally adopt the councils in the same way. So yeah, that, I, I would agree that that is first order issues. But again, there's some intentional wiggle room in the way that our province has, has stated that. Number six, we received the Book of Common Prayer as set forth by the Church of England in 1662, together with the ordinal attached to the same as a standard for Anglican doctrine and discipline, and with the books which precede it as the standard for Anglican tradition of worship. Is this first, second, or third, do you think? Anybody think that's a first order issue? Okay, everybody shaking their head on this side. This side of the room is like, I don't know if I, yeah, okay, shaking head, okay. Um, yeah, it's not a first order issue. Do you think this is a second order issue, something that's going to separate one group of Christians institutionally from another? No. Okay, no, why not? Well, I'm, I'm going to ask everybody to show their work, so, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Any, 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 anybody else have a, have a thoughts on whether that's a second order issue or third order issue? Bob. I would have to say it's a third. Okay. Because um, we're splitting hairs on, like you said about the differences when they the differences in Greek when they split off when the, the Eastern and the translations from Latin and Greek and they did you know. What is Theotokos, and what are some of the other, how do you define the words? I think some of these are very, um, everyone's pretty much on the same page. Um, like, I mean, whether you say tomato, tomato, for example. And okay. A, a good, another good example of my friend who's in the Anglican Orthodox Church, you know, the bishop. Right, right. His big rant is because they don't, they left off seven words in the morning prayer confession, and there is no health in us. Yeah, so yeah. This makes the whole thing suspect. Yeah. So, um, so, so, Bob and Dial, y'all are both saying it's a third order issue um, that these things don't rise to the point where they should split um, Christian groups from each other. Um, I think y'all are probably right, to be honest. However. However, the founders of this congregation didn't think so. No. 
that, that, the, the adaptation of the 1979 Book of Common Prayer combined with women's ordination is why this parish was founded. Because the Episcopal Church did that, and we were like, we're not putting up with that. Now, that's, that was an issue. Um, I will, the, 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 um, yeah, this, this congregation was formed in the movement of parishes that left the Episcopal Church over two issues, the ordination of women and the revision of the prayer book. They thought that the theological changes made in the 79 were so important that it was worth splitting over. And, and, and what they would say is that and the change in, 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 in holy orders, they would say that the Episcopal Church has left the tradition because of that. Now, here, here's, here's what I would say about that. This is really an issue of church order more than anything else. Um, so this is, this is an issue of, of, of good order more than it is anything else. So if to, to introduce um, a liturgy and ordinal that is not agreeable with scriptures and is not within the bounds of our tradition, I would say would turn into a second order issue. Or possibly, depending on what that liturgy was saying, into a first order issue. Um, but I would say that, that ultimately this does turn into a third order issue. For us in the Anglican Church in North America, what is this saying? This is saying we do have a common starting, starting place. Um, and therefore, the new liturgy should at least be agreeing with the things that are said in that 1662. Even if it's not saying the same things, it should be saying comparable, compatible things. Does that make sense? So. Um, and it does say it does say, you know, a standard for for Anglican doctrine, but then it does say as the standard for the tradition of worship. So this is saying this is where our tradition comes from. This is our standard baseline tradition. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say this really does essentially it's third order, but it can, depending on how it's done, turn into something that could be second order. Number seven, we receive the 39 Articles of Religion of 1571 taken in their literal and grammatical sense as expressing the Anglican response to certain doctrinal issues controverted at that time and as expressing fundamental principles of authentic Anglican belief. Okay, is that first, second, or third order? Third order. Anybody else agree with, with that? The 39 articles are the definition of our second order issues. I mean, that's the very, because, because what's a second order issue? It's the things that, that cause one Christian group not to be in communion with another Christian group. I mean, so, so this is actually the official second order stuff of the 16th century. This is where, this is where our, our, um, our tradition said, this is the line in the sand, which is why we cannot be in communion with Rome. And on the one end, and we cannot be in communion with the Anabaptists and some of these other guys on the other end. Interestingly, something that the 39 articles don't address is the episcopacy. It doesn't address that. Um, a Presbyterian could agree with the 39 articles of religion. <laughs> they could, theoretically. And in fact, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is kind of the big one for that Scottish line of Presbyterianism, um, was basically took the articles of religion and said, eh, it doesn't quite go far enough, let us fill in some blanks. Um, <laughs> okay, so that's, um, we've got five minutes. I'm gonna save the Jerusalem Declaration for next week, 
And then we'll start looking at some of these and maybe add to the list a little bit, as well as some history. Um, what I want to do for the last five minutes is throw this question out there. You know, we've looked at Al Mohler's three-tier system of theological triage. I think it's very helpful, but I would, I would agree with a lot of people that say it's not quite perfect. What are some problems with this three-tier approach? I would say personal people, personal tolerance. Personal tolerance? Yeah. What, 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 how's that a problem with the three-tier approach? No, it's a problem. Well, maybe it's a, it's a human failure. Okay. I mean, I give you the same right to your belief that you, ex you know, that I expect from you. I mean, you and I have had very, some animated discussions. Sure. We're, we're good friends. We differ on some things, but we, we still part as friends when we disagree. Yeah. I think some people can't do that. Yeah, and, and I think what, what this is trying to do is to help us realize why that people can't do that sometimes and, and, and heal some of that. So that's part of the purpose is to, is to foster better relationships and frankly, when, when we do have to part ways, good reasoning behind it, right? So it's not just we got mad at each other, but actually, hey, this disagreement is so much that we do have to part ways. Um, but what, what, anybody see any other issues with, with, this, with this approach? Yeah. So it, it it can be a little deep for a new believer. That's true. I mean, this this is it it's it is it. Some of these things are a matter of proper catechesis, and um, a poorly catechized person that kind of unwittingly embraces even actual heresy. It might be an innocent problem, you know, that just needs, okay, you need some correction on this issue. You know, Trinity Sunday, it, you know, it, it, people from the pulpit unwittingly spout heresy every Trinity Sunday because they, they haven't dug into the Trinity well enough to actually understand it. And you're not going to fully understand it, but they haven't done, dug into it enough to be able to articulate it in a non-heretical way. <laughs> so they articulate it heretically. I mean, that... That, that happens, right? Um, that doesn't mean that person's a heretic. That just means they said something that they shouldn't have said, and they need, they need to be, be corrected. And if that happens for the pastors, how much is that going to happen for the sheep, right? That kind of thing can happen all the time. So, yeah, that, that's a good point. Any, any, other, any other issues potentially with this system? Wait, I'm going to throw out one. Oh, Jeff. Yeah. They're always looking for reasons to divide. Right? That, that is a tendency, right? That guy's not actually my brother. He's more like a cousin because they painted the walls the wrong Yeah, and, and, that's, and that addresses really his, his last point regarding how fundamentalism tends to make everything first order or make everything second order um, so that everything's worth dividing over if you're not going to say they're not a Christian, right? 
Um, so, you know, it can, go, it can go either way. And we have that same problem in the Anglican world. And it's especially typical for congregations like ours that are very traditional. Um, we're the ones who are going to dig in our heels, um, not for bad reasons oftentimes. I mean, there might be some very good reasons for it. I mean, carpet color is, is kind of the classic. The cla I mean, it, I went to a Baptist school for my master's, and that was one of the ones that my professors always joked about. Oh, yeah, you know, first and second Baptist splitting over carpet change. And, you know, everybody laughs because as much as it's ridiculous, we all know that it can happen, right? <laughs> you, you move the organ from this side to that side, and all of a sudden everybody loses their mind. Um, and, and it happens, right? You know, um, but, but for the most part, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those disagreements aren't for terrible reasons, but if we're not properly discerning second and third order, we are going to have issues. I, my, part of what I think is important about why, why I like this framework that Mueller did is that I don't think we're good at that in the Anglican Church North America. We generally want to say, okay, we've got the things that split heresy from orthodoxy, and we're pretty good about that because that's why we're not in the Episcopal Church, right? We're good about that. And then we want to say everything else is adiaphora, is just disputable matters that, that you can disagree to disagree. Well, that's not true. Everything else is not adiaphora, as we can tell when we look at the fundamental declarations, um, as we're going to tell when we look at some of, the, some of, these, uh, um, some of these controversies. A problem that, another problem with this potentially, and then I gotta, I gotta close this very soon because we're, we're at 11 o'clock and so I need to close this now, but um, the, historically the church didn't look at things this way. Historically the church very much didn't see this middle order, this second order. Um, often, right? That's why for centuries the Coptic church was considered heretics by the Eastern Orthodox and the Roman Catholics, and they're not. That's why for centuries, the Church of the East were considered heretics, and they're not. That's why for centuries, the Roman Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox looked at each other and called them each other heretic, and they're not. Or why for a long time, the, the Romans looked at us and would have said, we're heretics, because we didn't accept the Pope, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so, there, that's a, and all that to say is that there is a very, con, this is a very contemporary approach, but Moeller does kind of point that out in the beginning. This is something that he thinks is, is helpful in our modern times, and I would probably argue is even more helpful almost 20 years after he wrote this. So we'll go ahead and end there. Um, sorry to put you on the spot. Jeff, would you close us in prayer? Sure. <laughs> With thy spirit. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. All right, guys, I'll see you all in Mass or next week as the case may be. Read over that Jerusalem Declaration. You're going to find it lines up a lot with the ACNA's fundamental declarations, and there's a good reason for that.